Well, we've talked about the fact that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We've talked about the fact that our power comes through him and the Holy Spirit. Today we're talking about our only hope. Folks, we can place our hope in a lot of people and a lot of things. But what we find is, is that more often than not, our hopes can be dashed. When we put our hope in a job, we put our hope in a relationship, we put our hope in our health. We put our hope in our finances. Before you know it, something is going to let us down. But we live in a world that is in short supply of hope today, especially for Christians. It's easy for us to to sit back and, and bemoan the lack of support from our government and the nominal commitment of our culture to the Word of God for, for people to look at this and believe it's the book of suggestions or, or to believe that it's good if you want it to be good, but you don't necessarily have to live by it, folks. This is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. We don't make it fit our lifestyle. We conform to its lifestyle. If we truly want to find the type of hope that Jesus is trying to give the disciples in this last serious conversation with them. And Jesus reminds us in today's passage that we do have a reason for hope. Folks, we must lift our eyes from our surroundings and look up and find in the sky where our hope comes from. And I'm not talking about a cloud. I'm not talking about a star. I'm not talking about getting the most powerful telescope in the world and being able to find the furthest star or furthest planet. I'm talking about the one who made the stars. I'm talking about the one who made the planets. I'm talking about God himself offering to us our true hope. If we will simply take time to change our perspective and look up today. There was a book called Unfinished Business by Halford Lubbock, and he writes this illustration. He says, One night at dinner, a man who had spent many summers in Maine was fascinating his companions by telling him of his experiences in a small town called Flagstaff. The town was to be flooded in preparation for a dam that was being built. So months before this town was to be flooded, all the improvements and repairs in the whole town stopped. What was the use of painting the house if it were to be covered up with water in six months? Why repair anything when the whole village was going to be wiped out? So week by week, the whole town became more and more run down. And this is what he said about this. He said, where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. If you are not feeling the benefits of the power of God in your life, Christian, if you are not holding on to the hope that is given to you, that Jesus offers his disciples and offers to you and I today, if you're not taking hold of that power, then you are letting your circumstances dictate your mindset. You are failing to look to the future as seeing positive. I can't imagine some of these children that are here today Yeah, I can't imagine being a parent and raising children in this culture because, you see, sometimes you'll want to say, 
well, you know, we, we just got to protect them. But folks, by raising your children, raising your grandchildren, being friends with people that need hope, by showing them this hope is an early age, they are the agents of change. Those kids, teenagers that are in here today, you are the agents of change. If you hold on to this hope that God has offered to all of us, Jesus is going out of his way in this conversation to assure the disciples, to let them know it's going to be okay. Because, see, he knows what's going to happen next. He knows Peter impulsively is going to try to protect his Lord and cut off the ear of a soldier. He knows that he is going to the cross. He knows that the trial is going to be rigged. He knows that he's going to be on that cross. He knows that he's going to die. He knows that when he needs his disciples the most, they are going to run and scatter. But he still had hope. He knows that even in your life and in my life, though we try our best to live for him, he knows in days we're going to fail. But he still gives us hope. We get two reasons for hope from this passage today. Let's look at John 14, verses 26 through 27. He says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send Him in my name. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. How many times does he have to say, your heart must not be troubled in John 14? We see here that the number one reason we can have hope for today, and we talked a little bit about it last week, is that there is no reason for us to fear because we have a counselor. We have someone we can go to. Listen, why is it that when things come into our lives, the first person we want to run we want to run to is someone close to our family or a close friend, and we will go through all the exhaustive process of running through everybody and getting their opinion on our situation and never take the moment to stop and ask God through the Holy Spirit what we should do. Folks, you as a Christian you have a counselor. Sit down on his couch. Tell him where it hurts. You might not know the exact pretty words to say like someone might say in a public prayer, but that doesn't impress God. The Holy Spirit actually says that even when we don't know what to say and all we can do is groan and mumble because it hurts so much, he understands every one of those. You have a counselor. That's like, I went through school, and I think we had guidance counselors. I don't know what they do. I never went to one. The only time I ever went to a guidance counselor is when I was trying to get them to write a letter for a college reference. And I'm sure they do amazing things. That They have so many families and so many children that they help, but I just never took advantage of their services. I had a counselor, but I never went to them. Don't treat God the same way. You have a counselor. He's right down the hall. His door is open. 
All you have to do is access him, not with an internet connection, not with a personal invitation, but just by simply praying to him. You and I have a counselor. We are not left to our own comprehension. You see, the Holy Spirit, when we read this Bible, as I've said before, you might not understand it. If you're not a Christian, you will not understand it. Because you don't have the Holy Spirit. But for those of us as believers, how many times have I heard new believers say, I, I don't get it, preacher. I understand for the first time what this verse is saying to me. Ding! It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Counselor. Folks, understand. It seems like in today's age, especially with gadgets, if you've ever got a phone in the past two years, let's say a smartphone in the past two years, you used to be able to, when you bought something, it had what with it? An owner's manual. Now they don't have those. Oh, you want to learn how to use this phone? Go to the Internet. You want to learn how to use this phone? Go to the store. They'll tell you. Folks, we're not left to understand life on our own. We've got the owner's manual. And we've got a counselor that will intercede for us if we simply seek him. Folks, I'm telling you what, if all your Bible does is collect dust through the week, you got a counselor, but you're not accessing him. This verse here solidifies the fact that eyewitness accounts which combine to make the New Testament were not the opinions of men, but rather the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that guided the hands that wrote this Bible is the same Holy Spirit that will grab hold of your heart and help you to understand it. How is that for an application? How is that to know? You're sitting in this pew today, and you say, Preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't. The Holy Spirit does. Everything. He even knows the things you're going through that you don't know you're going through. And He's preparing you for that. But we can see through the Holy Spirit that the New Testament is accurate. Each, Think about it. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they tell basically the same stories just from different perspectives. How boring would it be if verse by verse, word by word, each gospel looked the same? What would that let you know? If I was a teacher grading papers, I'd say those four guys cheated. How beautiful is it that we have four gospels from four different perspectives that say the same beautiful gospel story. The second thing we see is that we get to know God through His Holy Spirit. How do we get to know God? Let's take just a moment and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. Talking about knowing God. How do you get to know God? Through the Holy Spirit. Verse 10 says, Now God has revealed them to us by the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the concerns of man except the Spirit of the man that was in him? In other words, you're going to tell me, Preacher, you don't understand what I'm going through. And you know what? You're right because I'm not you. That's what this passage is saying. There is no one that can fully understand what you're going through except you, right? We all agree on that. I can give you my opinions on what you're going through, but as far as 
exactly what you're going through. No one knows except you. And it says, verse 11, For who among men knows the concerns of a man except the spirit of the man that is in him? In the same way, no one knows the concerns of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God who is from God, in order to know what has been freely given to us. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. Verse 14, But the natural man does not welcome what comes from God's Spirit, because it's foolishness to him. He is not able to know it, since it is evaluated spiritually. What is this saying? This is saying that no one can know your problems better than you, the Spirit that was in you. But no one knows God better than the Holy Spirit. So if you want to get to know God, you get to know the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Is that this when you when you become a Christian, you gain this Holy Spirit, this insight, this power. But for those that are not Christians, that do not have the Holy Spirit, it says right here, they're clueless. They don't understand. It's kind of like years ago, I thought I was something when I got my first Sam's car. A Sam's card. Now, some of you go to that other Costco place. I don't know. I understand. But when you get that Sam's card, you can shop. I don't know why you need 20 rolls of toilet paper and a five-gallon can of baked beans. But you can get them, right? If you have a card. Man, that's great stuff. As an old youth minister, man, we, we would just wear that place out. I mean... Get all kinds of stuff. And then the trick is you go during lunch, so if they're out there selling samples, you get a free lunch as well, right? I say, uh, excuse me, sir, the fourth time you cannot get one, okay? I understand. My bad. Folks, we can't shop at Sam's or Costco unless you got a membership card. Folks, we cannot know God unless we are Christians and we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. The second reason... Jesus left us with peace of mind. Not a piece of his mind. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. That's not what he's talking about. He's leaving us with peace of mind. And I want you to understand, when we say peace, I'm not talking about just throwing up the peace symbol and that feeling of, you know, everybody grab a Coke and a smile and we're all going to be okay. That's not the type of peace that the Bible is talking about. When, when Jesus use the term peace I give to you, the word actually meant more than just a feeling of easiness. It meant that He's giving them wholeness. That He's giving them completeness. That He's giving them health, security, and even prosperity. Understand that Jesus says to you, when you come to Me, I will give you peace. Now what does that mean? Here's what God's peace is. The first thing we see, peace is not the absence of conflict, but having the faith that God is in with you in the midst of it. That is peace. Verse 27 says, The only way that we can have peace is if we are willing to abandon our worries about our concerns and rejoice instead of what the Father is doing. But the obstacle to God's peace of mind 
is dwelling in the wrong world. Folks, you will never have true peace and love the world at the same time. You see, there's a danger in making the problems that we have our main focus. When our problems become bigger than God, we lose God's perspective. We view others as the problem. It's so easy in our our society today. We're victims, aren't we? Everything's got a label, and everything happens because something happened to us, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not taking away the fact that, that there are people that have had terrible things done to them. But, folks, we're responsible for how we respond. We're responsible for who we choose. We are responsible to either let our problems be bigger than we are or to let God be bigger than our problems. But see, the world that we live in, they, use, they continue to use ungodly ways to handle their problems. Violence, gossip, lying, stealing, cheating, laziness, apathy. Folks, I'm telling you what, when we have problems, we cannot stick our head in the sand and wait it out. Our only way to hope today is through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. There is a a man who approached a Little League baseball game that one afternoon, and he asked the boy in the dugout, he said, what's the score? And the boy said, 18 to nothing. And the man said, uh, wow. And the boy said, yeah, we're a little behind. And the man said, well, uh, aren't you discouraged about that, being 18 to nothing? He says, no, sir. We had not got up to bat yet. I tell you what, I wish I could have that kind of hope. I'm telling you what, if you think today is dark, God hadn't got up the bat yet. He's got your back. Today, God has placed an obstacle in front of you for the sole purpose of you experiencing His peace in the midst of it. The very reason you are wrestling today is because God wants you to cling to Him. And you cannot run from it. You cannot go around it. You cannot hide from it. The only way that you're going to get through it is to go through it. And that is with God's hand. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, please understand that without the Holy Spirit, you are in the middle of nowhere without a map. And no way to have any sense of direction. You're lost. That's why we call someone who does not know Christ. They are lost. And as bad as that sounds, you know what's worse? Is that there are Christians today that are rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. You've got the map in front of you. You've got the sense of direction. You just refuse to take it. It's called grieving the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says... And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of the redemption. Don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. Well, we see in verses 28 through 30 that a proper focus brings hope. Let's read verses 28 through 30. He says, you have heard me tell you I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so when it does happen, you may believe. 
I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of the world is coming and he has no power over me. He's talking about the devil. He's talking about Satan. Right now, Satan is at work in this world. But understand, he only works to the extent that God allows him to work. You say, well, why does God even allow him to work? To draw you to him. To make you depend on God. Folks, if everything was pie in the sky, mountaintop experiences, we would think we got it pretty good and we don't need God. Grass doesn't grow on the mountaintops, folks. Grass grows in the valley. And sometimes God takes us to the valley so that we can grow. But understand, the world has no power over us. This world cannot give everlasting hope. It is nothing but smoke and mirrors. I've got an illustration I want to show you. You'll probably recognize this video clip. get the movie to see the rest of it. But the thing is, is that when they saw Oz, I mean, when I, when I remember reading, or not reading, but seeing this movie for the first time, I was in awe. I mean, I'll, I'll still tell you, the monkeys, they scared me. Monkeys are scary, and the witch, you know, is pretty scary too. Come here, my pretty. You know, you're just like, Ooh. But when you get to this part of the movie, you realize that everything that is happening is mechanical. That there is a man behind the curtain making all of this look real, and it's not. If there was ever an illustration that shows the world we live in, we are overwhelmed by this world. And there is a ruler in this world called the devil, called Satan. And he is pulling strings, and he is intimidating. But folks, one day the curtain will be rolled back, he will be exposed for who he is, and he will be sent to hell, and those who believe in Jesus Christ will live with him for eternity. That is the truth. That is the fact. That is what I live on. And so if you are basing your fears and your doubts and your worries on today and your problems and you're letting yourself be overwhelmed by everything you see in Oz, understand that one day the man behind the curtain will be exposed. Amen? It's not worth it. Jesus told the disciples here, and He's telling us today, that He had been chasing, these disciples had been chasing the dream. Understand, when Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going to build a kingdom, and you're going to be with me in my kingdom, they thought right here, right now, they thought power, they thought, they thought political power, they thought prestige, they thought that they were going to be on the gravy train that Jesus was driving. And he's telling them here, 
in some of his last words to them, he's saying, look, everything that you've got your hopes set on has no lasting value. There is nothing of lasting value here for them. Instead, focus on the kingdom to come. Because, folks, the toys you have as a child will one day break. The friends that you've had in your childhood may not necessarily be the ones that you have as you're, you're an adult. Teens who are popular or not popular, whatever, whatever you're going through as a teenager, it seems like it's the worst thing in the world, doesn't it? No one understands me. God does. And actually, your parents do more than you think. But all of these troubles are temporary. I'm telling you, my worst year in school was sixth grade. I don't know why that is. It's just, it's a terrible year. But you know what? It gets better. I found Jesus Christ near uh, the, the beginning of my high school years. I cannot imagine going through high school without my faith in Jesus Christ. Because those were dark days. And then when you get in college, you're a young adult and you have young adult problems. And when you work as an adult, you think about work and you think about money and security. And as a, as a senior adult, you're thinking pension, retirement, and how am I going to cross the finish line and not run out of money? These things. All of these things have no meaning when it comes to God's kingdom. Don't get me wrong. You have to have money today. You have to go through school today. You have to go through the things that are placed before you. But if you put your hope in those things, they will let you down every time. Jesus is telling us that I will never go away. And I will live forever, and so can you. Because, folks, we live in a noisy world. Uh, again, I'll probably be talking about this for weeks, but as we went to the, the Billy Graham Library, uh, I remember as a child, uh, some of you can't imagine this, especially those of you that are younger than probably 18, but it, it, there was a day to where you only had four channels on the television. Can you imagine that? And I was the channel changer. We didn't have that little clicker. Son, get up and change the channel. I don't want to get up. All right. And I had to go. And it was a turn dial. Click, 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 click. And you'd go from 7 to 4 to 12. And then there's PBS. And that's about it. Can you believe that? Four little channels. But you know what? When I, before I was a Christian and I was a kid, there would be some nights to where Billy Graham would come on. And wouldn't you know they put him on all three of the four channels? Why do I got to hear a preacher? I want to see the six million dollar man. Oh my goodness. But to think of the souls that were saved and the number of people that heard the gospel. It is just mind-blowing. The problem is now we have more channels than we want to watch. We have more church services than we want to attend. We have more Christian music than we want to listen to. We got more Christian friends than we can keep up with. The world has become so noisy. It's trying to drown out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, if I could tell you anything this morning, turn down the noise in your life. Make a commitment to spend that 
quality time with God. Even if it's just five minutes as you're getting ready in the morning. Putting a, a scripture verse on your mirror as you're, as you're getting your hair ready. Or if it's putting a verse on your car as you're driving to work. Or if it's a, a tape or a song or a CD. Something to focus yourselves on Him and not the noise of this day. And finally, we see that hope focused on God leads to loving devotion. Verse 31 says this, On the contrary, I am going away so that the world may know that I love the Father just as the Father commanded me, so I do. Get up. Let's leave this place. Jesus is wrapping up his farewell address. And we see that he's still got two more chapters where he continues to teach them, but he says to them, let's get up. So, so they got up from the table. They got up from where, they, where he was teaching them. And some scholars believe that they just kind of hung around and he kept teaching for two chapters. <clears throat> but others believe, and I'm more inclined to believe this, as we see in the next chapter, he, ta- he starts talking about the vines and the branches. As he's walking to the garden, he's showing, look at these vines. Look at these branches. And he continues to teach them all the way up to the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll look more at that next week, but I want to focus on the fact he says, get up. Folks, in Christ, we do not need to fear the present or the future. We need to get up. He has taught us. He has given us so many things. We need to get up. Because Satan was powerless against Jesus Christ. If we make our life's purposes to be more like Christ, then Satan will have less power. Did you hear that? Let me say that one more time. If we decide in our lives to make Christ the Lord of our lives, Satan loses his power. We take the rocks out of his hand. Because there is nothing that Satan can do with us when we have Jesus Christ. The only thing that happens to us is what God allows. And Jesus showed his love for the Father, and he shows his love for you. Folks, Jesus voluntarily went to the cross and laid down his life. The reason we have eternal life today is because Jesus, instead of hanging on to the entitlement of being God's Son, In humility, he came to this earth and submitted to his Father's will so that you can have eternal life. So that you, as a Christian, can be sanctified and become more like him every day. To borrow from William Shakespeare, where he said in Macbeth, to be or not to be, I want to ask you, to have hope or not to have hope? That is the question. Every day we make that decision to be more like Jesus or more like the devil. That's what we choose in our daily life. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your forgiver and the leader of your life, or as Baptists say, your Savior and Lord, if you do not know Him, you will not benefit from this passage. Everything that I've said, you have no hope. Because hope only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the keys to having this hope and unlocking this hope are love and obedience. Your only hope, my only hope, and this world's only hope is in Jesus Christ. Folks, 
Salvation has come to this sanctuary today. Confession and repentance has come to this sanctuary today. Hope has come here today to lead you into tomorrow. If you would like to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, Lord, and have this hope that is rooted in Him. Have a counselor. Have peace in your mind. You accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You come to Him and say, look, I have messed up. I confess my sins to you. Come into my life and help me to live for you. I want to be a Christian. I want to have this hope that the preacher was talking about. And it's not my words, folks. It's Jesus' words. If you want that hope, accept Him today. Or you may be a Christian and you have let the noise of the world and the intimidation of the devil sidetrack you in your faith. Draw close to Him today. Maybe you have a prayer need or would like to join the church. This invitation time is for the Lord. And I pray that you come as the Lord leads. Would you stand?